Dear God, even though the events of 9-11 took place long ago, most of us can still recall them like it was yesterday. Some, more than others, are still feeling the effects and the pain. On this day, we remember all those who lost their lives and their loved ones to this terrible tragedy. We lift up their families and their friends and ask for strength, peace, and comfort. We also remember and honor those heroes who stepped in to help, to save, to serve. And we will never forget those who gave their lives for the noble cause of rescuing others. We are forever grateful and pray blessing and comfort over their families. We pray for the spirit of unity to revisit our nation, the unity we felt in the midst of our struggles and our confusion. We pray that our citizens would look to God for wisdom and guidance, just as many did during that time of uncertainty. But most of all, we pray for the swift return of our Savior, who will one day put an end to all tragedies and to all tears. We love you. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hard to believe it's been 20 years yesterday since that tragedy. Um, I have a few things I need to talk about before we uh, kind of get started this morning with our worship time and music. Um, yesterday, I shared in a funeral for um, Emma Jean Taylor, who was 93 years old, uh, who went to be with the Lord. Um, one of the things that the Lord led me to say was that most funerals are about just remembrance. But for the believer, it's different. It's not only about remembrance, but it's a celebration. It's a homegoing. Uh, it, it's a time of praise that uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And um, so I just wanted to make mention of that because there's a lot of, you know, yesterday was a lot of remembrance about the ones who lost their lives. And, and, and yes, it's appropriate to remember people who um, have died for different reasons. But as believers, what a hope we have that um, one day, although we might pass, right, this tent might fold up like we talked about last week, we have uh, a new body to look forward to, and we have the presence of our Lord and Savior to look forward to. So I hope, I hope that encourages you because there was uh, one of our very own uh, here at Grace who went to be with the Lord this last week, and that was Ray Simmons. And uh, he lived 90 years. That's a, that's a long life. And um, in the short time that I had the opportunity to know Ray, um, he was a stalwart for the gospel. Uh, and he loved his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what better thing could you say of a person? That they love the Lord Jesus Christ and they serve them with, with, with their life. And so you please remember uh, today, if this is the first time you've heard of this, that uh, please remember Elizabeth and Lisa and Steve and the family, Houston. You know, just there are opportunities when, when people uh, have their family members to go be with Christ. It's an opportunity for the body to surround them and to encourage them. I was, t I was telling 
Lisa earlier, I said there's just icing on the cake there because, you know, the Lord never leaves us and he never forsakes us, right? He's always with us, you know, in the good times and in the tough times. But the icing on the cake is that the body of Christ is, is here to minister and to serve and to, to walk alongside. So Steve, Lisa, Houston, Elizabeth, know that, that we love you and that we're praying for you. And uh, we, uh, we just thank the world of, of Ray and what the Lord accomplished through his life. I wanted to make mention of the fact I'm going to be out for a couple of weeks. Um, I'm having a surgery this Friday. Uh, my carotid artery on the left side is blocked 70-something percent. And um, it's on my left side, so I hadn't told the doctor this yet because I haven't seen him. But they're going to cut out all that liberalism. <laughs> They're going to they're gonna get rid of all that. You know how liberal I am. <laughs> so they're going to get rid of the rest of that on Friday. I should be in the hospital 24 to 48 hours from what they said. Uh, and so just pray for uh, Teresa that she can put up with me after that. And if you want an opportunity to cut my throat, well, come Friday. <laughs> you can come down to St. Vincent's downtown and take your shot. But um, just uh, be in prayer about that, and I really, really appreciate it. But that's kind of why I haven't started a new series, and today, obviously, I won't be starting one, but also it's an opportunity to say how thankful I am. There are several men in our congregation and outside of our congregation who uh, fill the pulpit more than adequate. I mean, they're very, very good, and so uh, I'm thankful for them. I also wanted to make mention while I'm thinking about it, um, the tabernacle that we have here set up in the fellowship hall, um, there's an opportunity still for you to walk through that. And um, I think it takes about an hour to hour and a half from what I've been told. Really good time for reflection and just a time of appreciation. Uh, I think a time of appreciation is kind of how I think about it, that we have access boldly to the throne of grace. And so um, you take an opportunity if you have time in, the, in your week to do that. I think it runs through next Sunday. So take your opportunity to schedule a time to, to walk through it. And we appreciate all those. Roxanne and others who've been a part of it and setting all that up for us. Um, I wanted to take you to some scripture we're going to look at this morning. Uh, there's two passages, Luke 24, 44 through 49, and then Acts chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. A good part, when you turn, <laughs> you'll just flip over a page and there will be Acts. <laughs> so you won't have to go far. I'm going to ask that you'd stand as we read together. Luke chapter 24, 44 through 49, and the parallel passage to that is Acts 1, 3 through 8. Luke 24, 44 through 49. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 3. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he, had, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, Is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to pause and we do want to remember today um, the families of the 13 soldiers who recently fell. Lord, we thank you for all our men and women who served. We pray for their protection physically, and more than that, we pray for them spiritually. I pray for the chaplains that serve the armed forces, that you would give them the courage to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that as citizens of the United States, that we would be, as people, thankful for our freedom that we have right now. And Lord, as we see that freedom even today being challenged in some different ways, I want to take the opportunity to pray for our leaders, for our president and vice president, for those in Congress. Lord, I just pray that that you would penetrate their hearts. Oftentimes, I think we look at people as impossible. In some senses, that's true, but then, Father, I think sometimes we forget Testimonies like Saul on the road to Damascus and how you changed that man's life. And he went from being zealous, a zealous persecutor of the church, to being the missionary for the church. Lord, you change people's lives. And we confess to you at times we give up on people. And we would ask, Lord, that you would help us Help us, Lord, that we might look at people as an opportunity to share. To share with them what you've done in our lives and how you have changed us. Lord, one of the things I want to consider today as we talk about being witnesses is to answer the question, how many times in our Christian lives have we been verbal witnesses for you? Um, That's a pretty um, daunting question in lots of ways. We know that our lives do testify. We understand that. 
but your word tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so I pray that you would help us to evolve. And as we've talked about many times, we understand we're in the last days. And we understand as well, Lord, that we have hope, those of us who are in Christ. And that's why we can celebrate today, even though there is heartache, because we miss the presence of people, we can be thankful for the life of Emma Jean Taylor and the life of Ray Simmons. We thank you for their representation while they were here, that they represented you well, they spoke of you. I pray that through even their testimonies, Lord, in our lives, that we might be more bold as we have opportunities to share about who you are. Lord, may today's service bring glory to you. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Morning, guys. Um, I trust you've been looking forward to worshiping the Lord together this morning with us. And we just want to sing about what we owe Christ, about Jesus, and just uh, offer his glory, right? So let's worship the Lord together this morning. Y'all just remain still. No, I'll never know 
do for your new body I'm 47 <laughs> and I'm already longing for it and if the Lord tarries and you know I'm, I'm blessed to be here I've still got a long way to go we long for that we long for the day when uh, sin will no longer burden us right I think that's the thing I'm most looking forward to so we long for those things and that's what we want to sing about uh, this song right here one day One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men by example is he. Living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried sins far away, rising he justified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glory I'll stay. Freely forever, one 
God's people said amen, right? Well, I was asked several times this morning, was I going to mention the Arkansas-Texas game, and I'm just not going to do that. So just wanted to kind of get that out of the way, and, you know, we don't need to talk about that today. Although we could, we won't. You know, when I ask this question, there's a whole section that's not going to know anything, right? Where were you on 9-11? They weren't here, a lot of them. But I remember exactly where I was. I was at Huffman Baptist Church leading a devotion for Save a Life. And my phone in my pocket kept going off, right? And... Um, I was like, well, somebody really needs me. I thought it was my wife, but it wasn't. And we know the events that took place that day. And so let me tell you about this last week. I'll tie this back together in a second. So the Lord led me to a passage of Scripture, and I was just fine with that, and I'm studying it and got the whole thing ready. And then I was um, encouraged to watch a video. When I finished watching the video, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. No, I'm sticking with this. And the Lord's like, no, you're not, Dad. You're going to teach this again. And I'm like, well, okay, you know, I don't know if you know what that's like. Wrestling with the Lord is difficult. He always wins. And... It centers around a testimony 
on this video from a woman who was there in New York City. In fact, her picture you're going to see, um, she was is one of the shots there that, that they captured. She was a part of this video, and the events that took place after that in her life are quite remarkable. And it just reminded me so much of not only the sovereignty of God, but it reminded me of the responsibility of man. That we have a responsibility to share the gospel. And it's not that we haven't looked at Acts before, but I think every few months in a church, it's important to look at the passages that draw our attention to the responsibility that we all share in spreading the gospel. You know, we can't say that we're ignorant anymore about that responsibility. We can't shove it on missionaries or pastors or teachers. We all have the responsibility to share Christ. And the Lord showed me something from Acts that I had not seen before. And um, I want to share it with you. But before we do that, I kind of want to give you a background uh, just in terms of, of what you're going to see. You're going to see a lady who is testifying about what took place on 9-11. And you're going to think for the first three minutes of the video, that's all she's going to talk about. But then there's, there's more to it than that. And I think it will be a real encouragement to you. So let's watch this video please. This is a place where I thought I was going to die. I was only there for two weeks working temp to perm and being at my desk on the 80th floor, I never thought on primary day, the next day, that I would be screeching for God to save me and don't let me die. I felt the building shake and then there was debris coming in. One of the fire wardens on the floor said, go in the conference room, everything is under control. All of a sudden, the windows crashed in into the conference room. That's when we realized, okay, is something really wrong. Once we start going down the stairs, when we get to like the 30th floor, you start to, to feel, I think it's something that God puts in you. You know when something is wrong. Now I see firemen coming up. I'll never forget that because they probably didn't make it out of there. You're not thinking in that situation. You just know, is something wrong here? So we go down to the mall, which is underneath the whole complex. And now all of a sudden, I felt rumbling. And then I felt an enormous amount of wind, like what you would think hell would be like. Debris is hitting me. I'm th being thrown around. Now it's pitch black, and I can't even see my hand in front of me. And I remember screeching. God, please don't let me die in here. Please don't let me die. I didn't remember how I got out of there for, for years. Even now, I can't remember everything, but I do remember walking out near the Cortland Street side and a woman from the Associated Press snapped my picture. And that's the famous picture with my hand in my head. And now I'm walking and now all of a sudden I hear rumbling again. I hear it under my feet. My building, which is now in the Freedom Tower, the one with the antenna, 
I could see that it's gonna it's gonna collapse. And I and now I'm I'm really running really, really fast. I kept falling. As quickly as it started, it stopped. I stayed in front of the TV, like for days. And I kept thinking, how did I get out of that building? Once I saw what happened, why did I not die? I met a young lady um, on September 11th of 2003. She literally kept um, speaking to me, saying, you know, you need God. I actually hired another woman. She sat right next to me, and she would talk about God, and she would tell me I need to read my Bible. I was searching for God. I was running into Catholic churches, you know, um, lighting candles because I knew I needed forgiveness. I didn't understand the gospel. I went to see The Passion of the Christ, the first showing in New York, anywhere. And when I walked out of there, I called my girlfriend, Marilyn, and said, I'm going to church with you. And that was Palm Sunday. I heard the biblical gospel that God is holy. We are not. We need forgiveness of our sins. Jesus Christ paid a debt we couldn't pay. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we may become the righteousness of Christ in Him. I started to read my Bible and it opened up in ways it never did because I had His Spirit. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us that we may become the righteousness of Christ in Him. I evangelize because I love my neighbor and I love the Lord and I want to see sinners saved, partly because God saved me. How I learned about Living Waters, my church, we, we did Tuesday night um, with Way of the Master season one. We did the whole series. Within maybe two, three months, we were out on the street. Like everywhere we went, we were out on the street, we were buying tracks, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. is such a joy. I watched you guys on Way of the Master, listened to um, Way of the Master radio. And during that time, it made me love His Word more. When I w woke up on September 10th, I never knew that, that I may stand before a holy, righteous God. I don't want any of my days to be a waste. I want it to bring glory to Him, whether I'm at work, I'm being a good steward of what He's given me, sharing the gospel wherever I go, just loving my neighbor. And you know, I wake up in the morning and I think today's a new day to bring glory to Christ. We are those who have the message. Why would we not share it? Pretty moving video, is it not? I mean, just of how the Lord used one or two people in her life to continue to say, you need to read your Bible, right? You need to understand who God is and what has been accomplished through Jesus Christ. Uh, I just was so moved when, when she said, you know, no wasted time. I don't want to have wasted hours. I don't want to have wasted moments. I begin to think about my own salvation when I was saved at seven and thinking about my, my street and the people that lived on my street. I lived at 1600 Sunset Drive in Lake Charles, Louisiana from 1969 to 1982. And back then in those days, you played outside. And you didn't play outside a little bit. You played outside all the time. You played outside until the street light came, came on Five minutes after the street light came on, that was your signal. You better be in the house or else. That was in the days of or else. 
young people, or else meant you're in trouble, okay? And it was no negotiation, no, hey, maybe next time, <laughs> none of that. But those were the days where you were involved. Do you remember that? Where you were involved with families on your street. You just, you knew everybody. You know, you knew their lives. They knew your life, right? They had an agreement on the block that if, if you got spanked at their house, you, you know, it was okay because you were going to get spanked when you got back home. It was one of those, it was just one of those times in life where people knew people. And they shared life together. And they did life together. And when I got saved, when I was seven years old, I, I wanted Greg and Clifton and Susie and Donnie to know Christ. I just wanted that immediately. I didn't have this, you know, I'll wait a few weeks. It was an immediate desire to share Christ. Um, and I would say, just in honesty, that waned over the years. You know, I don't know how it does that. Maybe you experienced that. Maybe you did. Maybe you're one of those who've evangelized faithfully ever since you've been saved. But I think for me, there's, there were seasons. And then I got to Southeastern Bible College, and I was in a chapel. And this guy, I just remember he was a missionary from New York State. And I had heard of New York State. And he was actually in the city and doing missions on the streets. And I was, I was just so overwhelmed by man, why would this guy, who looks to be fairly healthy, right, who could get employment, probably doing anything he wanted to do, why is he in the middle of a city that no one wants to go to, right, except to visit, why does he want to share the gospel with those people? And it was clear that his love for Christ was what propelled him for that. And I was like, man, Lord, I need that. I need more of that in my life, right? And then when you're at Southeastern, every Monday there was Missions Chapel, and you were hearing from different missionaries around the world who were sharing about their, you know, responsibility to share the gospel. And, and for a, just a brief moment in my life, I was like, well, I guess that's what missionaries do, right? That's their full-time employment. And the Lord just kept emphasizing to me over and over as a believer, not as a student, but as a believer, that that's your responsibility too. And so as... We are met with different passages, whether it's Matthew's gospel or Luke's gospel um, or John's gospel. When we come to passages like Acts chapter 1, we have to do something with it. You know why we have to do something with it? The disciples had to do something. In fact, there was an expectation on the part of the Lord. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. That's what you're going to do. And as I have thought about that in my life, just evaluation, thinking about my life, I have been an inconsistent evangelist. Not in terms of necessarily my life lived. You understand what I'm saying? There's a difference. My life lived as a Christian versus my verbal life, the things that I say. I don't even know if the church is completely convinced that we all have the responsibility to evangelize. You might think well that i don't know that's kind of a crazy statement i don't think so i think there are some people who may be sitting in congregations convinced they've been given a pass on sharing the gospel have we been given a pass or do we have the responsibility seems to me that from what i can see in the bible that the responsibility was not only given there in acts 1 8 to the ones who followed christ but to all followers of I want to take a look at a couple of things, and I just want to remind you of some things this morning. 
as it relates to what is said here to the disciples by our Lord. And I really want to focus on verse 8, the one you know the best. But you know how that goes. You can know a verse and not apply it. How many verses do we know that we have not applied to our lives? The list is probably decent anyway. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6 tells us, So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? What were they in anticipation of? That brings that question about. They were in anticipation of what? A literal kingdom. A literal thousand-year reign. And they were expecting Jesus to rule from the throne of David. That's what they were expecting. Um, in fact, John Walford, in commenting on verse 6, wrote these words. In the disciples' minds, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the promised kingdom were closely associated. Closely associated. So that they would have known what was said in Ezekiel about the outpouring of the Spirit and what was said in the book of Joel about the outpouring of the Spirit. So it's not like we look at these words and go, what, what are they doing? I mean, they understood what the prophets had written about a time that was coming. And that is, by the way, it's still coming. There will be one day... Jesus Christ ruling from the throne of David for a thousand year period of time. Revelation's clear about that. You can't just take an eraser and, and say, well, that doesn't fit my theology of a literal thousand years. We're not allowed to just put an eraser to what we don't like. It's very clear that, in fact, Jesus affirms for them that this was going to take place. Although they didn't know the time, look what it says. Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons, specific times, which the Father has fixed. Notice that's past tense. Has fixed. It's already been determined by his own authority. What's he, do What's he doing here? He's not chastising them. He's affirming what's going to transpire, what's going to take place. It, it, it is as you say, but the Father has fixed that time. So then he transitions to the responsibility that they would have as disciples of his, as apostles, as those who had seen the resurrected Christ. And there's three things that I kind of want you to, to think about in verse 8. First of all, um, I want to talk about the power to witness. And then I want to talk about the person that we witness about and then the place to witness. That's what he does in these verses. Verse 8, notice that first word, it's but. But. In other words, there's a transition here taking place. Moving them from the thought of a literal kingdom which will take place to, hey, I've got something for you to do now before that time 
comes. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Notice that's future tense. We'll receive. It was about to take place. The Spirit of God was about to indwell them. You remember what Jesus told his disciples in terms of that? I mean, the promise is just being fulfilled. Scripture fulfills Scripture. You know, as we sang that song today, it's like one day. Well, one day. One day he is coming. Right? It's a promise that we have. It's not a hope so, but it's a promise. Well, the disciples were promised something by our Lord. In John 14, they were promised the Spirit. Well, in Acts 2, what happens? The Spirit comes, and he begins to indwell. In fact, the advantage that we have, think about this, guys. We don't live the Christian life in our own strength. The advantage we have is the power of the one that lives in us. So it's wrong language to say, I can do it. I can't do it. I, mean, I, I just say, I can't witness. I'm, I'm good with that. If you say to me, I can't witness, I'm good with that. But there is one that can do it through you. And he lives in you. Isn't that good? <laughs> even, even the most shy person. But back in John chapter 14, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper. So, I don't know what you know about that word another. But the word another at times in the Bible is another of the same kind. And sometimes it's another of a different kind. Well, in this particular context, it's another of the same kind. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper of the same kind. Verse 16 of, of John 14. That he may be with you for how long? Forever. <laughs> That's just awesome. Right? We don't live the Christian life alone. This is a sidebar. We don't live the Christian life alone. He says that is the spirit of truth, which is distinctive, because the Bible tells us that the spirit leads us into what? All the truth, whom the world cannot receive. Here's a huge distinction. The world cannot receive. Because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he, what, abides with you and will be in you. What's the Lord saying? I'm with you and I'm going to be in you. That's what he's saying. I'm with you now, but I'm going to be in you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. How awesome is that? He promises them that they would receive the Spirit, and they do, Acts chapter 2. And in that promise, notice verse 8, it says, but you will receive power. We get our word dynamite from that word. Power. People, people can say, well, I'm going to muster up the strength to endure. I'm going to do it. I had that happen one time with a family, and I was doing a funeral for, for their son, and and, and these were unbelievers, and, and they're literally having a pep rally in their living room. We can do it. I sat there, and I'm like, I didn't say it out loud, but I thought, no, you can't. No, you won't do it. See, we are no longer of the world if we're in Christ. The power of the world is, is just totally, right, it's false. It's a pseudo-power. The true power is within us to endure. 
times that are hard, times of suffering, times where we're like, man, I can't tell somebody about Christ. Well, you know what? All these disciples weren't like Peter. They all had different personalities. You ever thought about that? All of them weren't like him. They weren't stepping out there and always speaking. But nonetheless, they had the same responsibility that Peter had. So he tells them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So the power to witness, here's what we take from that. The power to witness for the disciples would be in them. The power to witness for us, right? it's in us. The Spirit of God is in us. Listen, and I am not, when it comes to witnessing, I do not have that gift of evangelism. I don't have that. But I can tell you times where the Spirit of God has moved me. You ever had that happen? Where you know you're in a conversation with someone who's lost, and the Spirit, you ever had this happen where the Spirit of God is like, hey, time to start speaking about something besides paint. That happened to me literally. Had a guy paint my house, outside of my house. I don't want to paint the outside of my house. I like painting the inside of my house, but I don't want to paint. So we're about to sell the house, and this guy's going to come paint the house. Right? And, and the job is done. He did a fantastic job. We're out by the car, and uh, he's about to leave, and I'm writing him a check, and he starts talking to me about his life and his family, and I'm like, uh-oh. And so we start to just keep having conversation. And it was like the Spirit of God was like that. You know, it just the window opened right up. Because he started telling me he was a Roman Catholic. He said, hey, do you go to church? I said, yeah, I do. And uh, he said, well, where do you go to church? I said, well, I go to Grace Community Church at Deerfield. He said, well, what do y'all believe there? And it's hard sometimes to understand people talking, you know, Hispanics. Some of them are really good. And he was a really good speaker in terms of his English. But still, you have to really intent listen and so he's telling me about his faith and what he believes in he's like yeah man he said you believe and then you have to do I said is that what the Bible says and he just kind of looked at me and I, was like, I thought the Bible said that salvation was by grace through faith alone and Christ alone plus nothing else and he just looked at me I don't know if, I don't know how he really didn't respond for like a minute or two he said Oh, so you've read the Bible. I said, some, yeah. I mean, we're having this conversation, and I'm like, the whole point, I'm like, you know, Lord, this is, yes, it's about you, and it's about your word, but this is a great teaching time. You're trying to teach me something. You're trying to teach me that in these times where I'm not planning, I can rely on your power and your strength and your spirit who is going to give me the words to say. I've had several opportunities in my front yard to speak to people. So we need to think of the opportunities God gives us as, hey, I don't have to muster up this strength. The power is within me. And that's what he tells his disciples, that the power would be in them. But then he says, um, you're going to be my witnesses. And I had never really thought about this before. And I'm quite certain that there are two professors in here that have thought about this before. But I had not. Maybe I was... Dr. Hughley, I hardly ever slept in your class. But maybe I was sleeping during this time when Dr. Hughley was explaining this. But I want you to notice the second part of this. He says, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Well, there's two different thoughts there with witnesses. 
One, I share before, right? The word witness, we get our word martyr from that word witness. And it literally means to testify with the anticipation of potential death. It's one who dies for their faith. And we know there's lots of illustrations of those in church history who died for their faith, died in in sharing the gospel of Christ. But that wasn't really the the one I was going to focus on as much as when he says, you shall be my witnesses. And I'm like, when we think about being witnesses for Christ, what do we think of? Sharing the gospel. Is that correct? That's our primary thought, is it not? And it was my primary thought, and I think it is a primary thought, but there is a secondary thought there. There is no doubt in my mind about it. That when Jesus told his disciples, hey, you're going to be my witnesses, it wasn't just about his death, burial, and resurrection that they would testify. You say, Thad, where do you get that from? Oh, well, it's in the text. If you go back up to Acts 1 and look at the first part, as Luke's writing this account to Theophilus, notice what he says, the first account I composed Theophilus about all that began, Jesus began to do and to teach, all that he began to do and teach. So when you think about the disciples as they're going out and they're going to be witnesses for Christ, they don't just have this limited view, and I'm not meaning that in, in any disrespectful way, but they don't just have a view of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. What do they have? They have the whole life of Christ, the three years they spent with him. So I got to thinking, well, that's good. Because what did they experience when walking with Christ? Well, not only did they know, right, about the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, but if you back the pages up, they knew that Christ was omnipotent. Did they not? They sure did. In fact, the text that I was going to look at today in Luke chapter 8, Mark chapter 4, was about when Jesus calms the storm. You familiar with that story? How many miracles are in that story? Do you know? Two. When he calms, in in Luke 8, when he calms the storm, and in Mark 4, the Bible says when he's asleep in the back of the boat, they wake him up, right? He's asleep. People sometimes have a problem with that. Well, he, he was fully man, fully God. He had had a long, long day of ministry, okay? And so he's tired, and he's sleeping, and they go back, and they wake him up. And the Bible says that he gets up, and he rebukes the wind and the waves. When we think about wind, we think about it settling down. It instantly stopped. When we think about waves, we think, oh, they would eventually settle. Instantly, they settle. So the experiences that the, the disciples had with the Lord were far more than just the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that is the issue, ultimately, what people do with that. But there's more to it. Does that make sense? So that when one's testifying, when one's talking about the Christ, you're sharing all of it. So we're sharing about the fact that our, that our Lord is omnipotent and omniscient. He's the creator and he's the sustainer. All of these things. In fact, I would encourage you, as I was thinking about this, I was like, wow, Lord, that just whole, opens up a whole other area 
Not that we don't have those conversations. But I think a lot of times when we think about sharing the gospel, and it's right to think this, that we talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, it would be nice to give people, right, other things to think about in regards to Christ. Is there anything wrong with that? No, not at all, right? Nothing wrong with that at all. And so I just, as I was reading this and as I was studying, I was like, when he says, my witnesses, he's talking about the time spent that they had with him. And so I would encourage us as we think about our testimony, as we think about opportunities to share Christ with others, that our testimony would not just be about that moment when we came to believe in what Christ's son did and what Christ did for us on the cross, but that we would take opportunity to reflect back through the Gospels as to who Jesus is. It was very, very important. As you could tell, I mean, it just really moved me. So as we see here, the Lord Jesus tells them they have the power to share, and they knew who they needed to share about. That was Christ himself. And then he tells them the place to share. Notice verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. And then he tells them where? In Jerusalem. And that's in Acts chapter one, Acts chapters uh, 1 through 7. And then Judea, all Judea and Samaria. And that's chapters 8 through 10. And then even to the remotest parts of the earth, and that's the rest of the book of Acts. That was their responsibility that the Lord had given them. So the question becomes, what's our responsibility? Our Jerusalem, our Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts. So for our purposes this morning, I want us to consider our own Jerusalem. When you think about the United States, at least we, we used to, we thought of it as a Christian nation. How would you describe our nation today? As a Christian nation? How many of you would say Christian nation? I read some statistics a couple days ago on where evangelicalism in the United States is moving. Right now, between 40 and 43 percent of people in the United States would claim to be Protestant, okay? But of the Protestants, only 35 to 6 percent claim to be evangelical Christians. That's a lot of that's a lot of people who are lost. A lot of people who are lost. So I begin to think, well, in my Jerusalem, I have a responsibility to be observant, to see what's around me. Lord, who are you putting in my life? What opportunities are you giving me? Just was it three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, I was with Bill White and we went to the to the prison in Hoover. And I just looked at that, I was like, Lord, here's an opportunity to share you with these guys and what you have done in my life. This summer, I was with our youth. This summer, I was with kids at Camp Pearl in Louisiana. And in three months, I've seen six people saved. I mean, you say, well, that's not that, oh, that's a lot. That's a lot. Because you think about people in salvation, it happens. But in the United States, I mean, from my perspective, bird's eye view, I mean, I wasn't seeing a whole lot of salvations. Maybe you're different. 
I'm not saying the Lord's not saving. He's constantly saving. He's building his church, but there weren't as many. And you know what I've seen the Lord do? He's moving in young people today. There is no doubt in my mind about that. A hundred young people or students were at that camp in, in Louisiana, and there were four young people saved, and they were all teenage boys. I mean, you know, teenage boys, uh, those are some hard shells. Well, you know what? The Lord broke through those hard shells, and four boys got saved in their teens. I've seen him save two, two to three others just since that point. The Lord's working. We have a responsibility in our Jerusalem. And I would encourage all of us that that begins in our homes. That begins with our children, and it begins with our grandchildren. And if you're one of those parents who say, Dad, I've shared and shared and shared, keep doing it. Don't stop. You know what I found out about parenting? My, this is my viewpoint of parenting. My viewpoint of parenting was, well, I'm going to have some kids, raise them up, they're going to leave. I'm never going to have to deal with those kids again. Well, we raised them up, and they're gone, but they're not gone. You know what I found it to this to be true? That the spiritual life of my sons... There's more discussion now than there was whenever they were boys. <laughs> You're like, Dad, did you not talk to him about the Lord? Well, sure I did. But, I mean, there's more like man-to-man conversation about the Lord, about the working of the Lord and what he does and what he doesn't do. It's been incredible. So I would encourage you as parents, and I don't know if this will be encouraging to you, you're going to keep parenting, right? You're not going to tell them what to do. Right? They're going to call for advice. By the way, if they call for advice, give it to them. Okay? Don't go, well, I don't know. Give it to them. They may or may not listen. But there's this mindset that while I'm done with counseling of my children when they move out, and the reality is it just begins. And there's a spiritual component to that. And the spiritual component continues until the day you die. Right? That's just the truth. I mean, when I think about Ray Simmons going to be with the Lord. Well, I know Houston. And I know Houston's viewpoint of his grandfather. And Ray continued to do what? Demonstrate Christ over and over and over and over and over again. That never go away. Whether you're a parent or your grandparent, now I've got three little girls. Man, they have a lot of energy. They've been spending some time with us and it is true. You want to send them home. I'll be honest. That happens. They just have endless energy, especially the youngest one, Janae. Whew. She is all over the place. But you know what? Right now, they're, they're, they're just sponges, and they're taking in God's Word all the time. They want to read all the time. Read, 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 read. And you know what? A lot of the things they want to read is about the Lord. Guys, our Jerusalem, it's our home, it, it's people within the body of Christ. Now, that might sound odd to you. Don't let it be odd. Because our testimony in the body of Christ is something that even Paul understood the importance of. When you, when you look, think about uh, the Apostle Paul and his writings, 
Uh, I just want to share an example with you while we're on this. Go to Romans chapter 1. I want to show you something. The Apostle Paul shared the gospel with believers. Um, there is one who knows the heart. Who is that? The Lord. So the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 15. Well, go back to verse 14. Paul says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to who? You! Also who are in Rome. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as is written, but the righteous man will live by faith. Paul, no matter whether it was Rome or Corinth or Ephesus or Philippi, name one. He's always declaring the gospel. Why? Because there's one who knows the heart. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. <laughs> right? Who knows that? The Lord does. The Lord does. So, yes, we share the gospel with the church. Some of the most encouraging times in my life as a Christian, has been to hear people who know Christ share Christ with a bunch of people who profess to know Christ. I remember specifically a lady who now is about to be with the Lord. Her name's Annette Spears. She used to attend Springville Road on a regular basis, her and her husband Jim. Great people. If you know Annette Spears, many of you do, love the Lord. Almost really blind. Uh, technically, I mean, you know, and she, she studied the scriptures, she, she read them, she taught them. Um, I'll never forget, she gave a testimony one year at a special event that we were having at the church. And there was a man that was sitting in the audience who was a professing believer who got saved that night. <laughs> right? I mean, you're just like, Lord... You work through your church. So we never know how the Lord is going to use us in our Jerusalem, whether it's sharing with our family, our friends, sharing with the church, sharing with people in the city of Birmingham, then our Judea and Samaria is outside of that, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. And in, in my um, life, I have had the privilege to, to be in Judea and Samaria and share and to be in the uttermost parts and share. I remember being in Belize in 1992, and Pastor Stam told me, he said, Dad, you're going to preach the Sunday night service. I'm like, okay. And that was back in the early 90s when people were debating whether to have Sunday night services or not. You remember those days? Should we, should we not? Belize, there's no debate. They, they just open the doors all the time. So I'm down there, and I'm preaching and, and I went 30 minutes to 40 minutes, maybe. And a couple of them come up afterwards, Pastor, you could go longer. I said, I've never been told that. Never in my life. There was just such a hunger to hear what God has said. And so, listen, the gospel is being shared around the world. And we are seeing people come to Christ. We all have that responsibility, and we all have opportunities. 
And so I think we ought to pray that the Lord, as he provides those opportunities for us, that we would be willing to stop. And say, Lord, you know what? I was reminded that the power is within me. And that you're going to lead me into all the truth. And I have a story to tell about you. And it's not just the day of my salvation. But it's what your word tells us about who you are. You've heard of Hudson Taylor, correct? In the 1800s, Hudson Taylor was called by God to go to China where he spent 51 years as a missionary and founded the China Inland Mission which sent 800 missionaries to China. A lot of missionaries. The fruit of their ministry is still spreading amidst much opposition. One December, Hudson Taylor wrote home about what life was like for him in China. I thought this was really awesome. He said that it was very cold. It was very cold in New York when the Lord called us up there too. There were no ceilings in their house. Imagine that. And his bedroom wall was a sheet, not sheet rock. <laughs> a sheet, literal sheet, they hung up. But he said in this letter, We did not come to China because missionary work here was either safe or easy but because the Lord had called us. You know the great part, guys? He's called all of us. They're not unique. He's called all of us to be missionaries, to share. I was reading, I get the magazine, The Voice of the Martyrs. I don't know if you get that magazine, but if you don't, I get two copies, so if you want one copy, I don't know why I get two copies, but I guess it's just because of home and, and here at the office, but I get two copies, so if you're interested in having one of them, just come see me. Um, I'm reading this story about this family, and it just moved me. Now, I changed the names to protect the people, okay? Because like, you guys know that our services are videoed, and so I wanted to protect them. I don't know how... Voice of the Martyrs does that. I know they're careful, but their names are in here, and I, I just substituted their names for husband and wife, so you'll understand as I'm reading it. But the title of the article is The Persistent Evangelist. This is how it goes. A wife, when she learned that her husband had left Buddhism worried about what others would think of his decision to follow Christ instead of Buddhist teachings. She even hired carpenters to build a shrine to Buddha in front of their two-bedroom bamboo home. The husband, who had once studied to become a Buddhist monk, did not want to argue with his wife about religion. He just wanted her to hear the gospel. After months of discussion, the wife had no interest in following Jesus. And shortly after the birth of their first child, the husband asked the man 
who had shared the gospel with him to come to their home for a visit. So I'm like, this all began with one man who was obedient, whose name is not mentioned. He hoped that his wife would overhear their conversation about Jesus. In addition, he left the Bible by his wife's bedside with key verses written on pieces of paper protruding from its pages. He prayed that she would at least open it, but weeks passed with no response. Then one day, her heart softened. After the husband shared the gospel with two of their friends, who subsequently placed their faith in Christ, the wife felt safer discussing it with her husband. But eventually she came to faith in Christ as well. As soon as my wife accepted Christ, we both felt that we must go back to our home village and share about our newly found God. I think it's awesome. So then the article continues under the heading of taking the gospel home. The couple returned to their home village and began sharing the gospel door to door. You know, everybody has their opinions about that. Do you know that? You do know that, right? Should we go door to door or not? You know, we live in the culture where you know, we just can't bother people. I remember years ago, because I'm one of those guys who says, don't bother me. I remember years ago going to Chicago and taking a group of students there, and we were, they were learning how to share the gospel. Two great differences uh, between sharing the gospel in the inner city and sharing the gospel in the suburbs of Chicago. When we went to the inner city, I mean, you could talk to just about anybody on the street, and we did. Uh, we even went to homes in the inner city of Chicago, and they were receptive. But we went to the suburbs of Chicago. You know how that went at 5 o'clock in the afternoon? Not real well. I would just say to that, let the Lord lead you. If you want to knock on a door, knock on the door, all right? I've had plenty of people knock on my door. Um, and so, anyway, the couple returned to their home village, began sharing the gospel door to door. After nine months of work, they had talked with almost all of the 270 families in the village. And then the persecution began. The villagers punched the husband in the face and called him and his wife vulgar names. His parents revoked his inheritance. And his mother told him tearfully that the pride she had felt for him when he studied Buddhism had turned to deep shame. Her words hurt him even more than the physical abuse. This is what he said. This is one of the hardest things that I experienced in my Christian life. And the rejection of your parents. So how big a deal is that? That happened to you, right? That can, it can happen to us. He said that he and his wife felt both great joy and sadness as they endured persecution. For me to accept Christ and be persecuted, the scriptures are fulfilled, the husband said. Listen to this. For this I am grateful to the Lord, but to keep facing the same thing makes me feel sorrow for this kind of life, so joy and sadness. The resistance they faced from villagers and family members eventually forced the couple to return to the village where they had previously been living. And despite the pain they had experienced, they were grateful for God's work in the hearts of some 
who heard the gospel. And the rest of that story is this. The rest of that story is that 30-plus villagers, as a result of their willingness to share Christ, came to know him. Was there suffering? Yes. Continued suffering? Yes. But grateful for the opportunity to share? Yeah, to keep reading the article. So I don't know. I don't know where you are. And I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm just the messenger. I'm just one standing in front of you who has the same fears and anxieties that you probably have when you're standing in front of somebody. But I know this. When I was reading through this and and the Lord was working in my life about it, I was like, wow, Lord, thank you for the reminder. Thank you to know that your power is within me. Thank you to know that, right? Thank you to know that I have a story to tell. So I want to leave you with this thought. If you were to take this assignment this afternoon and write out your story, would it be up to date? Or would it just be merely historical? Let's pray. Lord, um, your spirit works in our hearts and in our lives. One of the most difficult hurdles I think we have in Western Christianity is that there's so much knowledge. And maybe for my life and in the lives of some here and some Christians in the United States, maybe the the practical day-by-day fleshing out what you've told us needs some help. I know it does in my life, and I'll be the first to confess that. I need help in that area. Or I need help to see people like, like you did. Lord, there are people that have been in my life that I've given up on before. There are people in my life that I've just simply bypassed. I've been disobedient to your spirit at times and not sharing. Lord, I don't want that to happen. I'm quite aware of this flesh, and I'm quite aware of the sinfulness, as Dee pointed out earlier. Lord, I'm also quite aware of what you tell us. Peter wrote it, always be prepared to give a defense, an answer for the hope that we have. I think one day, Lord, when we stand before you, there will be an accountability in that. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us by the power of your Spirit that we might not only live for you, but we might testify of you. Thank you for the great reminder that you've given us just through a simple message that you had for your apostles. Help us, we pray, through the power of your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a line in this song, guys, that says, uh, Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. And there's no way to gr- a greater way that we can express our love to others, express Christ's love through us, right, than sharing the gospel. Every day we are uh, building our life on something.
through the decisions that we make. If we submit to the Spirit, we're building our life on the gospel, on Christ, and we experience that joy and that peace. Or if we resist the Spirit, then we're building our life uh, on the world's ideas. So let's all stand and uh, sing about what we about Christ and about building our life. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
things before we leave uh, today. Uh, you can sit down. I'm not going to keep you another 30 minutes. I'm, I need you to sit down for a reason. Um, I wanted to just give you something to think about. Lord was kind of speaking to me about that when I was walking down that I didn't say, but I think a really good exercise for the believer in writing out that testimony is recalling the person who took the time to share Christ with you. That doesn't mean your parents didn't or your grandparents or some relative, but that person that shared the gospel and with you where, you know, there was that convicting ministry of the Spirit and you came to Christ. That's another excellent thing to think through that when we share our story with others, the Spirit of God is the one going to do the work, you know. Like Paul says, I planted a pot of water, God calls the growth. The Spirit of God is the one doing that. So I just kind of wanted to remind you guys of that, which releases us of a lot of um, <laughs> concern, worry, whatever you want to say. Um, this morning we have some new members to announce. I'd like to do that. The reason I had you sit is because I'd like them to stand. <laughs> that way you can see them. There was one we had a hard time with. I'll get to that one in a minute. But Aaron and Emily Wood, if you guys would stand and just remain standing. And then Lee and Jenny Strickland. And the last one, the elder board met last week. and I forgot to discuss it with them. Harley Hughley. <laughs> so, you know, we didn't talk to Dr. Hugh about that one, but uh, I think you passed. So we really, really are thrilled that these guys have joined us as a body of believers. Their testimonies are solid, and you'll want to spend time with them, time with them and just fellowship and um, just sharing testimonies about what the Lord's doing in your life. So we want to welcome Aaron and Emily and Lee and Jenny and Harley. <laughs> I wonder if a church service has ever ended with a clap. That's what we're doing. You're dismissed. All right.